Welcome to the Bone Coach Show, dedicated to helping you understand all things related to diet, lifestyle, bone health, and how you can live and thrive with low bone density and osteoporosis. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis, certified health coach, health and wellness speaker, and above all else, your bone coach. After being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s, I transformed my health through diet and lifestyle and now help my clients and community members do the same through my online coaching practice, Bone Coach. Look, there are no quick and easy cures for low bone density, but the choices we make every single day can have a powerful impact on our bones, our health, and our general well-being. I'll share the research, interview the experts, and help you figure out how to get the conditions right in your body so you can better your bones through diet and lifestyle. Short disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor, and this show should not be considered medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare team before making medical decisions and changes to your diet and lifestyle. With that being said, let's get on with the show. For many of my adult patients, they the, the perpetrators of their trauma either are not interested or they, they're not even there in their life anymore through death or whatever reason. And what I've seen is that it does not matter. You don't need the person who hurt you to apologize and make amends. This is because after a certain point in time, it really is about what you have internalized. So that traumatic way of uh, interacting with you is what we internalize. But the, the day, the moment you become aware of that and you change that, that narrative, you change that internalized relationship to one of respect and value and wholeness, you are on the path to healing. And it does not take long. It does take practice though. If you haven't done so already, especially if you're newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, or if your most recent bone density scan still showed more bone loss, go ahead and pause this episode and head over to bonecoach.com to sign up for your free seven day osteoporosis kickstart guide. That's going to give you everything you need step by step by step over the next seven days to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. You won't wanna miss that. So pause this right now, head over to bonecoach.com and I'll be here as soon as you get back. Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore a holistic approach to mental health and why this matters on your osteoporosis journey is Dr. Aruna Tamala. Dr. Aruna Tamala is a board-certified adult geriatric and holistic psychiatrist and founder of Trinergy Health in Wisconsin, USA. Dr. Aruna offers evidence-based root cause holistic mental and whole body wellness solutions so you can achieve health, harmony, and vitality naturally. Considered a pioneer in holistic psychiatry, Dr. Aruna developed her signature program, Psychiatry 2.0, a unique root cause method to treat mental health problems by healing the body first to then heal the mind. Psychiatry 2.0 combines ancient wisdom of Ayurveda with functional medicine to find and address the root causes of a patient's psycho uh, physiological symptoms. This program can be offered in person or online as mental health coaching, allowing Dr. Aruna to serve clients all over the U.S. and the world. She offers a broad scope of intervention, including diet, exercise, meditation, yoga, nutritional supplements, Ayurvedic herbs, HBOT, psychotherapy, and so on with so many methods and, and patients that she's helped with this process. And she's incredibly passionate about empowering you through education and self-awareness so you can achieve your best, healthiest, and most vibrant, inspired self. So Dr. Runa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. It is my absolute pleasure to be here today. Well, let's get into this. And, and for everybody listening, I want to make sure you understand why this is an important topic for those who have osteopenia, osteoporosis, and are concerned about bone loss. Because 
Along with bone loss, postmenopausal women specifically also face the risk of mood disorders, which are sadly treated with antidepressants. And yes. got about one in four postmenopausal women is taking an antidepressant, not knowing that those antidepressants, especially SSRIs, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, are increasing that risk of bone loss, osteopenia, osteoporosis, and the risk of fracture. And then we've got depression itself that's also an independent risk factor, but taking those antidepressants increases that risk too. Yes. So. Yes, that is Kevin, why. right there, you proved yourself to be smarter than 99% of psychiatrists. <laughs> because sadly, the way modern psychiatry is practiced, and I put myself in that 99% category. I mean, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have understood all of the ramifications of using these medications. What I was taught in my psychiatric residency and fellowship in geriatric psychiatry was to uh, tell people that it's a chemical imbalance and then you give these medications and yes, the medications can make you gain weight or they can mess up your gut uh, health or your bone health, but there is nothing to do, nothing else to offer. So yeah, tough luck, you know, this is all you have to do. But um, but yeah, I mean, especially from your uh, lens, antidepressants are harmful for bone health as well. And, and then one in four women are taking an antidepressant, postmenopausal women are taking an antidepressant. So, uh, but when I switched over to holistic medicine, holistic psychiatry, that's when I realized all of these uh, mistruths that are paraded as truths. Number one, there is no chemical imbalance, right? There, are, there is no chemical imbalance. I don't know. Uh, I mean, the latest study that pointed it out again was by uh, Dr. Moncrief and her colleagues from UK. And she published 70 years of meta-analysis just last year, summer of 2022, that came out that there is no evidence that serotonin imbalance causes depression, no evidence that there is any serotonin imbalance. So then that begs the question, why are women, men, children, uh, why are we getting depressed? And uh, that question is actually what my work has been. Why do we fall ill, especially in the mind? But uh, yeah, thank you for uh, bringing attention to this very, very, very important uh, side effect of these medications. Because when we talk about bone loss, guess what? We're increasing their risk of falls. And we know that when a person in their 60s, uh, even in their 60s and older, when they have a fall, that is a direct contributor to early mortality. So not only are we destroying quality of life by this kind of the mainstream practice, but we are also shortening uh, life duration. That's, I mean, I, I, I maybe it may be shocking and jarring to hear my words, but I do want people to wake up. So that's. Uh, well, well, let's talk about holistic psychiatry because this may be the first time somebody's heard holistic put in front of psychiatry. So let's break that down. What is holistic psychiatry, and how did you become a holistic psychiatrist? So I think like most of us in the holistic field, it started off with my own health issues and, and life experiences. I, I mean, there were so many signs that the universe was giving me and I kept ignoring them until I could not ignore anymore. The first sign was really, I did my psychiatry residency in India. This was in from 1999 to 2002. And around that time, a very popular movie in one of the South Indian languages was released. It's called Annamaya. It was about a a very, uh, a very important saint uh, in our culture uh, who was born in the 15th century. And he's credited with having given rise to the South Indian Carnatic music tradition. 
he has composed 24,000 songs in his lifetime. He lived to be 93 or 94, and he composed 24,000 songs. In comparison, Elvis has composed about 52 songs. Yeah, so he, this, this man is a genius. But when you look at his spiritual experience, at, you know, as a young psychiatry resident, I watched this movie. They talk about, they show him having the spiritual epiphany. And in my mind, as a young psychiatry resident, oh, this is psychosis. He's having a psychotic break, is what I thought from that, from my lens. But then I immediately thought, okay, if we were to give him the medications and everything, would he really still be a genius like he was? Because even then in my residency, I began to see that people were not getting better. But every time this recognition came up, I was really told in my training that there is nothing you can do. But then my own health issues happened. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. I was developing symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. And I was struggling with polycystic ovarian syndrome, all of that. And then I think that was the wake up call that I received. And as I began to explore holistic medicine and healed my body, I was like, wow, this is, it was all about food as medicine is what he, I healed myself. And then I was like, oh, if I can put these, you know, so-called incurable autoimmune conditions into remission, if I can cure myself, why not mental health? And that, when I started asking that question, literally the doors, the floodgates opened, I came across uh, uh, Functional Medicine Institute for Functional Medicine, um, Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, and I dove right in. This was 10 years ago. But the challenge for me was that there was no uh, concept of holistic psychiatry. I mean, they were teaching us how to think holistically about the whole mind-body thing. And uh, the functional medicine doctors were talking about how when they healed the gut, the depression went away, or when they uh, healed mitochondrial damage, fibromyalgia and, and anxiety went away. So I began to see that it was more about the body and the relationship that the person had with themselves. So then, um, so I really had to come up with, um, you know, I, whatever I was learning, I had to kind of apply it for mental health. And in the beginning, I, even my own thinking was, oh, this can work for depression and anxiety, but it can't work for bipolar and schizophrenia. No, I've been proven wrong on all of these things. And basically what I've realized is that there are only three root causes. It's wrong diet. It's a diet that is not in alignment with who you are. Uh, it is about your uh, uh, the trauma that you have experienced throughout life. And uh, the more severe and earlier the trauma, the more serious the illness. So it's if you've had a great childhood, great support, but then you have a major traumatic event in your adulthood, you'll develop depression and anxiety. But if you've had early life trauma, then you're going to have chronic PTSD, personality issues, maybe even schizophrenia and bipolar. It's that's And the third one was toxins. So, I mean, in my book that's going to be published soon, I'm calling it Psychiatry 2.0, the three root causes are diet, trauma, toxins. It's DTT. That's it. We address this no matter the diagnostic label that a person comes in, they get better. It really is about addressing these three root causes. And how do these root causes impact the body? Number one, they cause leaky gut, which is gut inflammation. And then from there, they can... Uh, affect all different organ systems. Immune system invariably gets affected, especially in women. It's also the hormonal system, the oat axis, which is the ovarian adrenal thyroid. This is the other uh, for women throughout the reproductive uh, phase, as well as in the postmenopausal, we have to evaluate how their ovaries are functioning, thyroid and adrenals are functioning. 
And uh, uh, so it, it really is when you address these three things, because these three things cause leaky gut, inflammation, and organ degeneration. And when we you're, can... yeah, well, maybe we can eat, go down each of those paths and just share a little bit for each of those things that are maybe uh, things that people not really be aware of right now, or things that maybe they think they are doing correctly in these areas, but they might not actually be doing correctly. So maybe we can uncover some of the things with diet, with trauma, with toxins. Yes. So diet, um, and that uh, my understanding about why diet is important really comes from Ayurvedic medicine. So in Ayurvedic medicine, uh, everything is personalized and individualized to our doshas, which is the body, the innate constitution that we are born with. And we have three doshas. It's vata, which is the air element, pitta, which is the fire element, and kapha, which is the earth element. Uh, all of us have all three, but the relative composition of that is different. Now, I can tell you the little I know you, you have your primarily pitta, maybe a little bit of vata in there. So that, so, I mean, it's, it's energy. It's, you're really uh, picking up on the energy signature that the person has. Um, and, uh, and so vata people tend to have weak digestion. Pitta people, intermediate digestive system, digestive abilities, and kapha have robust digestion. So when I talk about the wrong diet, so, you know, a very easy example is that of salads. You know, you know, in the in here in the Western world, we think of salads as being healthy for everyone. Raw food is, you know, there are so many raw food proponents. But from an Ayurvedic lens, no, if you are somebody with a vata constitution, and especially if you're vata imbalanced, then your digestive abilities are so weak, you will not be able to digest anything but well-cooked food. So then the dry salad that you're having will actually cause more energetic imbalance and will cause more problems. And when I started to understand this, I remember there was a young woman when I was in my previous life, I was working for a hospital. She had been admitted. And uh, and sometimes I, I, I joke, my crystal ball is very clear. I can see things. It doesn't happen all the time, uh, sadly. But this young woman, she had been admitted for alcohol addiction and anxiety and all of that. And she was so vata imbalanced. And I could see that she had had kidney stones. I mean, don't ask me how I got that. It just, I just picked up, oh my God, she's so dry because vata increases the dryness. And we do see stones and kidney stones and gallstones can be a problem. And she was like, how did you figure that? Yes, I mean, just a few months ago, I was diagnosed with, I had kidney stones and it was a very painful experience. And then of course I went over and, and she was eating salads almost three times a day. So then I had to kind of explain to her, so it, it was a good outcome. So that's one example of how diet can be, even though it could be healthy for somebody else. So kapha people and pitta people can uh, digest even raw food. So it'll be, it, that's okay for them. But again, it ultimately comes down to, you know, we say uh, you are what you eat. Whereas from an Ayurvedic lens, we say you are what you eat and are able to digest. So that digestibility is very important because if you digest, you extract the nutrients and you eliminate the waste. If you're not digesting, that undigested food will impact your microbiome. It'll uh, destroy your gut lining and create that local gut inflammation, which can then spread everywhere else. I, I so want to bring this, this specific example that you brought up about diet. I want to bring this to life with an actual example. So let's say somebody is listening to this and they're like, gosh, you know, I eat I eat arugula. I love arugula specifically. I, I talk about it um, before and I love it. I think it's a great green to include, but let's say somebody's including it in a raw salad and that salad is not working for them, right? Maybe if we saute it, warm it up yes. a little bit, 
that may actually work better for your digestive system. So if it doesn't work one way, consider trying it another way. And that may be one way to still get the nutrients, just yes. a little bit easier to digest. Yeah. Or, and even make it like a smoothie. Make it like a smoothie. So because uh, what we are really looking to is make the food easily digestible for your weak digestive system. And in my practice, what when we identify that some like somebody is coming with a vata imbalance, we, we give, I mean, I can share this. If you're having, I mean, when you feel bloated or when you feel heavy, when you feel that your digestion is sluggish, a big indicator of that is that you're not getting hug hungry at regular intervals. Like we should get hungry at regular intervals. And if that is not happening, that itself is an indicator of poor, a weakened digestive system. And a simple way that anybody can do it is actually making a tea with cumin, coriander, and fennel. Boil, take equal quantities, let's say half a teaspoon of cumin, coriander, and fennel seeds, boil it in a quart of water for five to 10 minutes, uh, steep it, and then drink it with, uh, with a meal. And this can be a really good aid to stimulate your digestive juices and helps with digestion. Uh, many people come in with burping after they eat. That is another sign of low stomach acid. And when that happens, again, you know, we have herbs, medicines and everything that we do use. But uh, your listeners who are just kind of getting started on this or just chew a half a teaspoon of fennel seeds, do that consistently with every meal. And of course, it takes a little bit longer than, you know, getting at it with herbal medicines that work very fast. But you will see that um, doing that and becoming more mindful of, about what you're eating, like if salads don't agree with you, then switch over to a smoothie or or just saute some of these greens and eat them that way. And you will see that the burping will reduce, your bloating will reduce, the fullness, that heaviness in your stomach will reduce. All of these indicates that you're digesting well. And your energy will improve just with that. I love that. So actionable. Thank you so much for, for sharing an actionable example there for diet. Now let's talk about the next piece, the root, the next root cause that you've kind of found is, which is trauma. Can we maybe explore yes. that a little bit? Absolutely. And this one too, like in my own evolution, like I, you know, I, I was introduced to Ayurveda in 2013 and I read all these books. It did not strike me what I was reading until I came across the ACE study again in 2018. And I did that because I was invited to be a keynote speaker for a trauma conference. And so I had to, I read Bessel van der Kolk's book and then I read the ACE study and I was like, wow, East and West, they're talking about the same thing. So essentially what happens when uh, we experience early life trauma is that the way I describe it is that it actually pokes holes in our psyche, in our mind, in our soul, and it pokes holes in our gut. But before I had this epiphany and you know brought these two things together, Clinically, I was noticing that if, if I diagnosed somebody with chronic PTSD, they had a higher risk of autoimmune disease. And from a functional medicine lens, I already knew that autoimmune disease indicates leaky gut, which is holes in the gut. But then when I put these two uh, very different schools of thought together, and what I saw was that when we experience early life trauma, and this can be it doesn't have to be physical, uh, sexual, emotional abuse, but even that so-called small T trauma where a child is not allowed to be authentic. And I'm a parent myself, and I know you are too. This is not to make anyone go, oh, am I being that abusive, traumatic parent? It's not about that. This is really about education. Uh, I mean, going down this path helped me evolve as a better parent. I think uh, 
I think so. I mean, but <laughs> we'll see what my kids have to say about it. I, I mean, I, they do agree. So there were things about my own personality, my own generational trauma that I was kind of taking it further with the next generation. But all of these insights helped me to, uh, you know, it changed my parenting uh, approach as well. But really what we need to focus on, the first two years in a child's life is all about attachment, which is for the physical safety. You know, babies, they they need to be held, they need to be fed. I mean, everything we take care of their physical needs. Um, but alongside, we're also taking care of their emotional needs. So if a baby cries and you pick them up, uh, and also I'll say something very scandalous, sleep with your babies. That's the best thing you can do as a parent uh, because it actually, there are so many benefits to co-sleeping. Uh, it regulates the respiratory system, regulates their nervous system, a lot of benefits. But so we are taking care of their physical, emotional needs. But authenticity needs, they begin from the time the child becomes two. You know, we should not call it terrible two. We should call it authentic two. That's what, when a child is saying no, it's them exerting their individual will and personality. Whereas in our culture, we are taught, oh, this is the terrible twos. I mean, no will start right now. That no is a very, very important word in their vocabulary. But sadly, because of the way we are taught to think about these things, we deprive our children of authenticity. I see that happen a lot. So then the child becomes not does not know how to uh, become independent. The child does not know how to exert their ideas, their will, their speech, all of these things, their emotions. They, they don't know how to navigate that. So it's all, the, the process of suppressing all of these things begins at that age. So, and other thing I've seen is that when somebody is Miss Goody Two Shoes, I recognize that as loss of authenticity now. So, you know, the child that is confirming, it, typically we see this with the firstborn more than the, the subsequent, because parents, we learn with one child, we learn and then we adapt too. Um, so that authenticity needs are very important. So when that authenticity is not allowed to flourish, that itself is traumatic. And that's what gives rise to that low self-worth. How does it manifest? So when I ask my patients, okay, how, how is your self-worth? And they'll say, oh yeah, uh, pretty good. And I have to tell them, no, you're I'm not talking about your confidence. How high can you jump? Or how, how much you hold, what esteem you hold yourself. It's not self-esteem either. The way you talk to yourself when you make a mistake, that indicates our level of self-worth. Like, are you able to say, yes, I made a mistake. I feel sorry about that. And, you know, are you able to forgive yourself? And it's not a narcissistic, oh, I can do, it's not about that. It is about, are you able to sit with your own guilt, with your with the pain of having caused that harm or whatever mistake that you did and able to accept it and forgive yourself? How long does it take? How much do you beat yourself up in that process? That indicates the level of self-worth that we truly hold for ourselves. It is the inherent value that we all have. Even a blade of grass has that value. That's why, you know, we, we become stewards of our environment because we know there is inherent value in everything that is around us. So do we. So that is the concept of self-worth. And trauma deprives us of that. Or loss of authenticity deprives us of that. And so as adults, then we become emotionally dysregulated, which then impacts our relationships. And of course, for us women, we get diagnosed with bipolar or hysteria. It's no, it's not that. It is again. I. Um, it's not about men versus women. 
um, it, it this lack of authenticity manifests in different ways uh, in both men and women. Like in women, we get diagnosed with borderline personality, bipolar disorder, hysteria, or dr dramatic, you know, these are all the labels. For men, actually, it is narcissism. Men get diagnosed, men whose authenticity needs are not met, get diagnosed with narcissism. And I feel so sorry when I see in podcasts, oh, narcissist, he's a narcissist, and, you know, don't ever date a narcissist. I mean, yes, it's painful to be in that kind of a relationship, no doubt about that. But if you look at the root causes, there is hope. If if someone can work with this young man or, you know, a, adult male and help them understand their the roots of their narcissism, which is low self-worth, I think the world can be a much uh, better place. So these are, um, so this is how, and trauma not only causes the holes in the psyche, but it does the same thing because you release a lot of cortisol from childhood and too much cortisol causes leaky gut, which then sets the stage for inflammation and autoimmune diseases and everything. How, how often do you see situations where, because like our audience, they may already have kids that have kids of their own. So they may have grandkids and they may be an external observer to how things are playing out with their own children and their grandchildren. You know, is there any guidance for them that we can offer? The number one thing is that it doesn't matter where you are in your age. I mean, my uh, some of my PTSD, chronic PTSD patients that have been able to reverse their illness are in their 50s and 60s. It really is about the, the day you start truly valuing yourself and loving yourself and, and really doing what you can do um, that expresses love for your own self, whether it is eating right or exercising, keeping the company that, that values you. All of these things, the day you start doing that, your mind-body system will respond. The day you commit to this, you are committing to a life of joy and worth and, and wholeness. So ages, yeah, it's and even when if you've had, uh, so I mean, two, two things. One, um, when I'm working with adult uh, uh, adults who have had traumatic past, I do try to engage their family members because there's nothing like you know when when the parent comes in and I'm actually going to be working with a 30 year old young woman who whose mother was also my patient, so I know. But there's there's a trauma, so this the mother daughter duo is ready to do the work, and. So if the mother comes in and is able to understand where some mistakes were made and truly uh, empathizes and even offers an apology, the healing is going to be uh, is going to be really there. But for many of my adult patients, they the, the perpetrators of their trauma either are not interested or they, they're not even there in their life anymore through death or whatever reason. And what I've seen is that it does not matter. You don't need the person who hurt you to apologize and make amends. This is because after a certain point in time, it really is about what you have internalized. So that traumatic way of uh, interacting with you is what we internalize. But the, the day, the moment you become aware of that and you change that, that narrative, you change that internalized relationship to one of respect and value and wholeness, you are on the path to healing. And it does not take long. It does take practice, though does take practice it does not take long very empowering very empowering and mm -hmm. uh thank you for walking through that with with trauma and let's talk about the the other major root cause that you touched on which are toxins yes yeah 
So, so many wonderful examples here. Like, um, uh, you know, we are living in an extremely toxic world. There is no question about that. So in my, with my own health issues, my Hashimoto's, PCOS, and rheumatoid arthritis, I was able to, again, there's no test, but my intuition tells me I grew up in India. And every summer through my teen years, um, uh, once a week, uh, this, the local government would send in this big vehicle with a loud horn. We were all supposed to go indoors, close our doors and windows because they were spraying DDT. So this is in the 70s. It was banned in the US. And of course, they shipped it over to India and other countries. Right. So now, I mean, that uh, I mean, in India, we don't have locked, I mean, sealed doors and windows. We would smell DDT even for the into the next day, even. So, and that is when actually my PCOS uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome started around that time. And then in my twenties, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto. So I've been able to kind of intuitively understand that that toxin exposure was crucial for me to go down this path. Now with all of my patients, I do functional medicine testing with uh, mosaic diagnostics. They were called GPL before. And uh, especially the more serious illnesses like autism and schizophrenia and bipolar, um, I see all different kinds of toxins, like glyphosate is a big one, mold toxins, uh, another big one. But one patient with bipolar disorder, she uh, traveled a lot. And then, you know, as part of her workup, we saw that she had high amounts of jet fuel in her system. And she had uh, methylation polymorphisms, which impairs detoxification. So it was a double whammy for her. And definitely detoxing her from those things improved her psychosis and she is completely well. She's an entrepreneur doing really well and not on medications and has been stable for over four years now. And in my clinic, you know, we offer Ayurvedic uh, massage as well, which is primarily a detoxification, lymphatic drainage uh, and energy balancing massage. And with patients with psychosis, when I have to tell my patients and their families, hey, the psychosis is going to go up for 24 hours after you do the massage, because we are mobilizing these toxins, they're going to leave their fat uh, tissue, get into the lymphatic system. There will be an increase in these in, in symptoms because it's kind of like the keto flu that we're all familiar with. Uh, but you see that the thing is, if you don't understand these connections and these uh, coincidences, then you know, you'll not be able to. So, um, so toxins impact the body, they, they cause inflammation they directly uh, mimic certain functions. So a lot of the toxins that we get exposed to are endocrine disruptors because they mimic estrogen, progesterone activity, so, and even testosterone activity as well. Um, and, uh, and finally, they, by causing uh, the immune system to um, become inflamed, they cause neuroinflammation as well. So these are all the different ways that toxins can um, impact us. And these toxins, most of them, majority, actually all, almost all of them are lipid soluble. So they're lipophilic. So they, they can enter the brain cells, they can enter any cell. And detoxification with the fat medium is very, very important for that reason. And people put on weight because the our body instinctively makes more fat uh, deposits to hold on to these toxins and prevent them from interacting with our other cells. So this is, so again, post-bariatric surgery, we will see increase in depression, anxiety, psychosis even, 
And that is because they're, I mean, in, uh, if they do a liposuction, that's different. They, we don't see the same phenomenon because you're removing the fat cells, which, which are carrying the toxins. But in bariatric surgery, you're clamping the stomach and the intestine sometimes. So now your body is now forced to get its nutrition from the fat deposits. So they're breaking down the fat cells, the toxins get released, and we see all these syndromes happen. So um, the toxins are a big factor for that reason. And I've seen it uh, being contributory to autism, depression, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, all of these conditions. So Very interesting. Very interesting. And then uh, I know you touched on diet, trauma, toxins, and you gave some great actionable suggestions there as well. Have you, even circling back to diet just briefly, are there specific dietary approaches? Obviously, we're all genetic, biochemically, genetically unique individuals. We're going to respond to different approaches differently. But are there specific approaches that you've seen that maybe have some great research behind them that show their effectiveness for different mental health conditions? Ketogenic diet. Like whether it is for dementia and and again, like I said, the way I began to approach uh, mental illness is really looking at whether they're able to digest something or not. And what I've found is that people are better when they are slightly ketogenic and they avoid dairy and gluten. These are the three things that um, that I emphasize on. Um, and so clarified butter, I, I mean, I get everyone to consume clarified butter and it's tasty um, and it helps with brain um, healing, but it's also very good for the gut lining as well as for the microbiome. So when we, you know, it's the same concept behind eating fiber, we get the butrate from fiber, which uh, is very beneficial for the good bacteria butter and ghee which is clarified butter also has butyrate so it's very beneficial for the gut bacteria um, so there's tons of benefits to doing a slightly ketogenic diet so don't be afraid of your farm fresh eggs and with the choline cholesterol i mean the yellow of eggs is rich in choline without choline you're not going to make acetylcholine which is necessary for memory so choline is very important for attention focus concentration and all of that so, I mean, I think um, simplistically put, I would say, do not listen to American Dietary Association. <laughs> Eat like your grandparents did. <laughs> and uh, grass-fed meats. I mean, avoid uh, uh, conventional farming and uh, animal husbandry. Um, and, uh, there's some really good uh, regenerative farms that are coming up that are shipping meats all over. Uh, and uh, so I think White Oak Pastures is a farm in Georgia. I've been getting their ads a lot nowadays. And um, Force of Nature is another good one that you can go to local stores and find. This is regenerative agriculture, regenerative, regenerative farms that have great practices. I mean, they take care of the animals mm -hmm. and uh, they live a great life. And the the meat that comes from these animals is it's nutrient dense. It's healthy. Uh, and it's just a great source. It's a much better alternative. And it's delicious. And you feel satisfied. You're, I mean, a lot of people are nutritionally deficient. So that's why they're hangry, you know, hunger. And they, they, may, they may eat a full pizza, but they're still hangry because their cells are not getting the nutrients. And on, those, on the same lines, if you're eating meat, you should be consuming your meat with the bones. Like always try to make it like a stew get the bones as often as especially the marrow bones and organ meats very i mean and this is simply coming from how i was raised like in my home growing up in india once a month we would eat 
uh, lamb, uh, uh, kidney, and uh, liver and spleen. This was a, at least once a month my mom would make it. And sounds gross, but once every two or three months, she would also make uh, lamb brain, which is pure fat. Um, and the, we would always get the whole chicken with the gizzards and with the uh, liver and um, with the heart. We grew, I grew up eating all of these things and uh, not these things not being available to today's generation. It's very, very sad for me. So of course, I mean, I forage all the local, I mean, Wisconsin is, a, is farmland, thank God. Uh, so there are plenty of really good local farmers here and I'm able to get um, whole, the, the full bird and, you know, things like that. So um, you know, I make it a point to cook with all of that, but I've, eat. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I love that you just touched on organ meats, right? This is something like when people are listening to this right now, they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if I could ever do that. Or I don't know why I would do that. Or some people from a bone health perspective, they're thinking about, well, I don't want to get too much vitamin A because I've read that it may not be good for bones, but you know what? That's consuming organ meats, getting that vitamin A, you still need it. You don't need to go the complete opposite direction and stop consuming foods that have vitamin A. You can still incorporate uh, liver and things like that, liver, heart, those kinds of things. And they don't have to be consumed just as the single organ, right? You can get them. Uh, I mentioned Force of Nature is one brand, but they create this. It's almost like just ground meat that has that already into it. And you can't even really tell. So that can be one way to incorporate it that you would probably barely even know. Uh, but did you have other other suggestions? You also mentioned ghee, which yes. I absolutely love because even if you are somebody who's lactose intolerant or you are consuming a primarily you know dairy free diet, ghee is is still something that you could potentially consume in your plant. Yes, yeah, because ghee is pure fat. Ghee by by definition means that there is no milk protein or milk sugar in it anymore. It's completely clarified out of it. Uh, yeah, no, uh, you bring up a really, uh, again, you know, two, three generations ago here in the US, people ate like how I was raised. Like now, sadly in India, the use of organ meat has come down even there because everything is, you know, it's uh, it's been, I don't know what to say, but, you know, people are forgetting that you need to have, the wholesome nutrition comes from eating the whole animal from tip to tail, tip of the nose to tip of the tail. Um, that's that's how even here, people were consuming foods exactly like that. But I think it's the uh, commercialization, industrialization, and, and it's a form of disconnection from nature. Um, you know, I, I think in some of these uh, funny YouTube uh, videos, I saw that uh, some kid didn't know, you know, where actually these animals come from. Like, you know, it's that is the the amount of disconnection from nature that that is not healthy for any one of us. And um, and regenerative farming is, um, is is the way to go. But where the whole animal is consumed and one way or the other, we all go back into this earth again. So, you know, it's, it's the recycling. I mean, the fruit that you're eating today, whatever fruit that is. It went through so many cycles of carbon, probably for eons, for millions of years. It's nothing is new. Everything is recycled. Every, I mean, my cells were probably some somebody else's cells at one point in time. That's. <laughs> uh, but um, Eat Pluck is a company that makes uh, spices with um, ground uh, organ meats. Yeah. So that's another way to 
I think it's eatpluck.com. That's another way to incorporate. But I make a really good liver and lamb liver and spleen curry. It's really good. So Well, I'm coming over <laughs> for dinner. <laughs> anytime, Kevin, anytime. Well, this, I mean, this is really fascinating. And let's just touch on, I know you said you've got a book coming out. Um, and But I want to make sure we, we kind of touch on the last pieces that maybe you want to share about mental health, its connection to bone health. We already kind of touched on that, but any other pieces that you think are important to share with our audience? So I, I think uh, the big thing is that when it comes to bone health or mental health, the things that, and I've seen, you know, the things that you talk about, really following some of the protocols that you have instituted for bone health will probably help with 60 to 70% of their mental health as well. So the body will heal with the protocols that you have come up for bone health. As a psychiatrist, as a mental health expert, I think the big piece, if somebody's you know working with you and with me, it'll be about fine tuning some of those things specifically for brain health. But uh, trust me, you'll be doing 60% of the work with in terms of mental health as well. So all your clients, I know that they will experience improvement in energy, focus, concentration. The mood and regulation part that requires a little bit, probably more psychiatric kind of an input. So that's one thing I want to tell all of your listeners, that they are healing not just their bones, you're healing the whole body, including the mind and the brain. Um, and postmenopausal women, uh, from the research that I'm doing right now, bioidentical hormones can be beneficial, not only for bone health, but also for mental health as well. So they should definitely, uh, uh, I used to be very against, I'm, I'm still against synthetic hormones. I mean, I don't recommend birth control pills. I don't recommend synthetic estrogen and progesterone. That's not the way to go. But uh, I'm actually doing um, Dale Bredesen's course on reversing dementia. Fascinating. There is no illness that cannot be reversed. And even dementia, uh, and I'm already implementing that with, I have uh, two patients with dementia in my practice and they're both responding really well. Uh, so there is no disease that does not respond to the right intervention. That's one big message I want to give uh, your listeners. And uh, as regards, you know, uh, what else did you, uh, I think we covered. We um, did. We covered quite a few things, but let, let's touch on just briefly your book. Uh, yes. It's come out at some point in the future. So touch on Psychiatry 2.0 briefly. What What's going to be included in that? So Psychiatry 2.0, uh, that's the title. And uh, uh, it, it basically uh, documents the, my evolution as a holistic psychiatrist. And um, I've definitely touched upon uh, the role of functional medicine. I've given a lot of insights about Ayurvedic medicine and uh, also about how people can, I mean, with those insights, uh, and I've shared some of the dietary principles that we are going about, you know, what blood tests that they can do for themselves. There's going to be a lot of actionable items in this uh, book and uh, I'm writing it and uh, then I'll be looking for a publisher pretty soon. So that's that's where the thing is. But I'm very excited for this. I've also created an ebook, uh, which is also in uh, that's going to be a free thing. It's uh, I'm calling it the seven simple ways to heal your mind uh, and brain. So that also will be coming out on my website. So, you know, lots of uh, wonderful things happening at, uh, at my end. Keeps me busy. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I want to make sure I link to resources in the show notes. So can you tell everybody where they can find you? Also, what, what's your website and anywhere else they can find you? So the website is psychiatry2.com. It's uh, P-S-Y-C-H-I-A-T-R-Y number two dot com. Uh, they can there's a uh, they can actually book a discovery call with me over there. Uh, my phone number is two six two nine five five six six zero zero, 
And uh, there's another website, trinergyhealth.com, which is primarily the information website. Psychiatry 2 is will have the ebook, and also it's the place where people can come in and uh, book a discovery call with me. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's. Uh, Wonderful. Well, this, can... this has been really informative for everybody. I personally have enjoyed this a lot, listening to you share your knowledge, your expertise, and I'm sure everybody else has as well. And for everybody listening, you can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned here today over at bonecoach.com. We're going to link to all those resources down in the show notes as well. I want to thank you again so much for your time. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you found this episode of the Bone Coach Show helpful. You can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, be sure to share it with someone you love, a friend, family member, even a group of people. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode that can help you improve your bones, your health, and your future. One last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com for more great resources to help you get on the path to stronger bones and an active future. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you in the next episode.